Welcome back to Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. I'm personal financial planner, columnist, and financial therapist, Rick Kaler. Research tells us that 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, not logically. For nearly four decades, I've been helping people make better money decisions. So what makes my financial worldview different from most financial experts? I blend the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Good money decisions are not just about the money. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome back to another episode. And I am delighted to have a good friend and colleague uh, on the episode today, Susan Bradley. And Susan has been doing what she's doing for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, we first met at the Nasruddin Project. Would that be? Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. And you were one of the originals, weren't you? Mm-hmm. So I've talked a lot about the Nazarene Project on the uh, podcast. Um, and we are celebrating our 30th year in uh, the Black Hills of South Dakota, September 5th at the uh, State Game Lodge. So that was the commercial for the episode. <laughs> good, good. It, it'll be it'll be wonderful as always. So Susan, uh we were talking just before we started that I'm not sure that the average listener to this podcast is aware of your work. And I think that would be a, a good place to start is just introducing them to um what's what's your heart, soul, and passion uh, in the world. In the world. Um, Yeah, you know, Rick, I guess I am fortunate that I can answer that question. To say what my heart, soul, and passion is, it's it's an easy thing for me to say. I don't know that, that, um, I, I don't know exactly how I found it, but I feel like I got tapped to do my work, which is also a good feeling. So the work is to help ease and and amplify the good side of life-changing events. And uh, I'll give you a quick on how it started because the term transition, we are financial transitionists, which means we're skilled and trained to manage change. And when this started back in 1995, I didn't have a clue about transitions. I was a financial planner. I was confronted with um, a pretty rough situation for women receiving um, settlements for medical complications. And when I was introduced to them, not personally to the lawyers involved, they were all future spending for this event that was coming. The event did not happen. Uh, I was writing a white paper for them, and they I was afraid they were going to go into bankruptcy if it didn't happen, and, and it, in fact, didn't happen. And the lawyer's response was, don't worry about it, we handle bankruptcy. And that was actually the pivot in my life. It just wasn't okay. Um, and I, you know, he said, it's basically, it's not his job. So I started to research it. <laughs> 
<laughs> and, and, you know, that stuff goes on today. Yes. I, I still now and then work in that field because it's it's just um, kind of a messy space at, at best. Um, but anyway, so I ended up writing the Sudden Money book mainly because I wanted to read it. I wanted someone to teach me. So I was figuring it out. And the best I could have told anybody then is that we were creating a change model for financial planning. So it was change management in the context of financial planning. Uh, and then I got introduced to Bill Bridges' work, which was transitions. And I realized, oh, change is one thing. Transition is what happens as a result. Change is situational. Transition is the adaptation. Okay. And then when you looked at it, we I realized that the people we work with as financial planners take about five plus years to really change and to adapt and to adjust and transform. And that's that's the unseen part, it's a big deal. And now what I'm seeing is the world, obviously from pandemic, the word transition came up a lot. I always tell that you, you think this is a one-liner joke, but it actually is true. Um, <laughs> I was talking to a company who wanted to know uh, about uh, women in uh, women in finance. They wanted me to do a women's program. And I said, I think you should do it on women in transition. Told them all these things. And they said, we're just not going to deal with menopause. And that's what they thought of women oh, in no. transition. Oh, no. um, so that's how far off the mark uh, we were as a profession. But pandemic has changed that. And now I think there's so much disruption and uncertainty and velocity of change that we're in yet a new iteration of the work that I do. So sorry for the long history lesson there, but I guess I would say I'm uh, I'm I'm here to help the world change a bit, one individual at a time, as best I can. You said a couple things uh, that I. I resonate with in the first is that I wrote the book because I wanted to read it. <laughs> and and also, Susan, if, if uh, I could ask anybody the question of what's your role, what's your purpose in the world, um, you would be the person that could answer that because you're not uh, unaccustomed to diving deep within yourself and doing the work yourself and our good friend uh, gail coleman has heck i first heard her say this 20 years ago that you can only take a client as far as you're taking yourself and so in that uh regard i think you're the poster child for <laughs> what you've done because whatever you suggest uh clients do advisors do uh, coaches do that that you're um, that are in your program uh, you've done and that's true huge that is just huge so uh so getting clear through writing i i i get that because when i sit down to write a weekly column i sometimes i'm writing and i go gee i didn't i didn't know i believe that <laughs> yeah 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 right <laughs> like oh wow <laughs> so i i really get that uh because i don't know if this is the same for you but 
I write to be understood. To be understood, I have to write in a manner that's understandable. And breaking things down and putting it together and also adding some uh, type one logic to it. Um, sometimes I come up in uh, uh, into a line of thinking I didn't realize was, yeah. um, oh, this is what that's about. So uh, I resonated with that. Another thing you said that I that I really resonate with, I think you said it takes about five years to go through a transition. And that would be starting with the anticipation of the transition to what uh, you would term the new normal. Well, actually, the five-year that we work with is the third stage. Passage. So if you go from, there are four stages, the anticipation of an event Okay. The event itself, the no going back, the mile marker in life before and after event, and all the pieces have to get put back together. Then there is the adjustment. Bill Bridges called it the the new normal. I don't think it's a new or was it the new normal? He he had a different phrase for it. Um, Bruce Feiler calls it the messy middle. Um, there's all different terms for this when it's it feels like it should be done, but it's not. And there's there's literally um, a full body, full relationship adaptation to the change, if it was a big change. And that's the part, Rick, that I think takes five plus. And that's when people think they should be done, but they're not. Now, that makes even more sense. Because uh, as I was thinking about that, well, anticipation could last a long oh, yeah. time, right? Or a very short time. Yes, or none. <laughs> pandemic right. we had none just bam right. done yeah, well we had a little bit but we were all ignoring it we weren't what well, we say when you when you're in, when there's an event coming to be present for it even before it happens doesn't mean you're obsessed with it just but, but lean into it prepare yourself to be your best decision maker you know kind of do what you can with pandemic it felt like to me it was march 16 when i finally got it and nobody came back to the office and we've been virtual ever since so sometimes if you uh an accident changes everything a lottery win changes everything uh a notice that's that you know something with a stock option or something with the death of a person um, so you don't always have anticipation stage it's a really great thing to be aware of it and to and to be in it, lean into it, but we don't always get it. That makes a ton of sense. So five years in, in passage, normally, uh, which I was I was thinking of that just recently, and with with financial decisions, time is money. Uh, that's a broad statement, and my point to that is. If if I um, I don't know I'm thinking of of being in like pre contemplation with the uh, stages of change yeah uh, and let's say it's overspending and I don't even know it and there there's something happens a smaller intervention where I become ready to 
contemplate making that change. Uh, I don't know. Maybe the um, the event might be OMG. Look at my credit card statement. This is out of control. We know, um, at least it's my my um, uh, thoughts that. Only about 20% of people in that moment need new information like, well, here's how money works. If you spend more than it comes in, you have to borrow, and eventually you're going to get some type of debt limit, and things won't go well. So just simply quit spending as much. Is it fancy? <laughs> you know, chop chop your budget and, and live within your means. Um, and there's no research on this, but uh, 20% of people would go, wow, I never knew that. I never understood that. Okay, chop, chop, problem solved. Um, and you laughed when I, I, said, uh, I said that because we know 80%, it could be more of folks already have that knowledge yeah, and they can't stop for whatever reason or every month there's this one-time event that blows the budget. And so it's really chronic. So getting to what is driving being stuck financially, whether it's stuck overspending or stuck with an estate uh, planning issue um, is is going to what require some introspection, uh, some 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 guidance in that way, and I have long said, wow, this financial therapy stuff takes a long time, <laughs> <laughs> and, and um, in in what we do, we have a metric. For success, and I, that may be a little bit crass, but I remember uh, a psychologist that I worked with said that, that that was one of the differences in working with somebody therapeutically around money issues is that the metric is the money. That, well, if we're working on overspending, ultimately the success is not overspending anymore. and getting from point A to point Z can take a lot of time. True. So I think that's a way that I could apply the passage of that transition of coming to a new normal that would be a new normal with some healthy financial habits. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, it's interesting. I've challenged myself to see many things that don't um, line up on a list of life events that that change everything. Um, There's a a whole bunch of research and you can get 50 events or 30 events or whatever. But there are some that are real disruptors that financial planners and financial therapists might, might work with. What you're talking about is a is a um, a conscious change in the way life works, probably routines, probably commitments, responsibilities, even some self identity in in all of that, right? So, 
it, it's if you say an event, if you want to identify a, an, the, the time that someone um, gets it, that that there's a problem and I'm ready. I think Petraska's work says that only 20 percent of people are really ready to make the change and, and to implement. Right. So there's process there. So so if if that were the event and then you had to the ending the doing part of it would be maybe uh, cutting off um some um monthly expenses um change your routine and where you go and how you do life each month so you're adjusting like that and you can get the numbers to work but then that passage stage is really living with that it wasn't just two months where you had it together it's it's right. something that becomes an embedded, repeatable process. And so your identity is shifting. Um, you know, instead of maybe shopping for uh, self-soothing, you find another way of self-soothing. And then that puts you into different um, maybe social situations. And then you're adjusting to that. So if you identify it as this thing, and you make that an event, there is an anticipation knowing that there's something that needs to be fixed. If the ending is the fixing, and then the passage is the adaptation to it, and maybe the transformation comes. So the new normal at the end, you would no longer identify as someone who is on a real conscious budget kind of thing. It's just who you are. It's just the way your life goes. So you're not thinking about the debt, you're you're more forward thinking than than I'm I'm still fixing. So yeah, you could you could pattern out anticipation ending passage new normal without I hadn't thought of that one. So thank you. That was that's a good exercise. Well that's a, that's a interesting in that the anticipation in the example that I just threw out can be the anticipation of balancing getting the skills to live within your means. Yeah. Well, this is going to make the whole thing a lot longer, you know. <laughs> it takes what it takes. It takes five years in anticipation, right? To get to the ending. And I think in many cases, it would be the ending of the lifestyle that I had, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There would there would be pieces of that, and I guess you you might even map this out uh, differently for different situations. Obviously, we're doing a big balcony kind of thing, but knowing that you have to make a lifestyle change in order to achieve this would be the anticipation part of it, and then the doing it. Cutting, uh, stopping the extra spending and the auto deposits or things like that or contributions you make, whatever it is. So cleaning that up and then living with that, not not going to this place or that place or the, the, the shopping. And maybe right. it's changing what you're driving or maybe it's changing how you vacation. And there's all kinds of creative ways to start to live a new life with that that tighter budget and and if you're married or if you're partnered um you know it, it the amplification happens right that's that is a fascinating way to apply 
the transition model. Yeah, uh, I, I never had never thought, thought of that, that. <laughs> <laughs> either because you're right. There, there's there's two two phases to that. It's uh, let the the lifestyle, living my life before, and now the real transition of what's it like now that I'm living this new lifestyle, now that I'm living within a budget. Um, and that's the part that it uh, that the average would be about five years to be in that yeah, passage. It's the adjustment, yeah, yeah. And I, I never really thought about this in terms of debt. So um, I'm just telling you that in we've been looking at this for 23 years. And in the beginning for this passage thing, um, all I would, all I knew in the beginning was I would hear over and over again, this should be over. It's been a year, just get on with it. So obviously the first year, if you think about divorce and, and um, death of a spouse, that that's, we all sort of get, there's a, a, a numb, tender time. It's the second year that throws people off because they think I've already done my first year, so how come? So there's a sense of failure and shame that can shame. come up in that second year. Yep. So when I'm, and, and then once you get through that, then it's the reordering the the way life goes, the routines, the people, what you're, <clears throat> what how you see yourself, and you know that when when you work with trauma, people get re-triggered, right? And that can happen really for a lifetime, depending mm. upon the situations. So. Does the fact that you get re-triggered six years later, does that mean you're still in passage? I don't really know. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I don't think about it that way, but I think about it more the way the flow of life has shifted and become something else. And triggers and glimmers and all of that happen, but it's um, you're probably out of that passage although i have spoken to many financial planners and you know some some people that you and i both know have made some pretty big changes in their lives i remember peggy fry she tells the story about leaving citibank she was a private banker in new york city and she lived that whole kind of big life and she decided that she needed a change and she wanted a farm and she was raising dogs on the side with her her banking job. Uh, she was also playing adult hockey. So, I mean, she had this very interesting life. And she um, moved from New York to Virginia and bought a farm with her husband. And um, at that time, Citibank had um, the nosedive in uh, 08. So the finances, the way it was supposed to work, wasn't going to work for that period of time. and. I met her at a Nazruddin, and uh, she was telling me the story, and I said, whoa, Peggy, that's a heck of a transition. And she said, huh, never thought of it that way. Huh. And now, and Peggy is one of our lead trainers now, and Peggy will say, um, years after that, she would say, it's still not done. Hmm. So she's really aware of it. So she, when I say five or six years, she'll laugh and say, she says, yeah, try eight or 10, you know, that kind of thing. But we, our culture doesn't pay attention to the transit, to the, the movement to the next. We just want to expedite, get it done. 
Mm-hmm. And there's all this unseen. And it, it's, it, it's, I just think it's a shame because there's so much potential in those times when we're in transit. We're making minor and major choices. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're, we're looking to find a fit. What is our new fit? And and trying to to build through that and and keep moving, but it's subtle. And if you're in a culture that says what is wrong with you, um, or you say in your head what's wrong right. with me, it it just makes it harder. It's still going to happen. It just makes it harder. I'm thinking of, of the the triggers, and you're wondering, well, are you through it or not? And I I'm thinking, well. I mean, if you if you've been married for a couple, two or three decades, and your spouse dies, I have heard that it takes one as long to go through the grieving process as you were together. <laughs> now, <laughs> I don't think that means uh, uh, being in transition that whole time. But I'm thinking that the triggers can become part of the new normal. Where it just hits you. Oh, You're yeah. someplace, yeah, yeah. you you smell a smell, hear a song, whatever it is, and boom, you're into that grief. Um, that just could be part of having gone through the transition and transitioning to this is part of the new normal. You know, I, I think maybe part of it is what is the result of being triggered? Um I had a brother who was killed in a terrible accident in 1978. And sometimes when I hear something about seatbelts or teenage driving and all of that, it triggers me. And I I feel that grief again. And if I'm with my other siblings, it's a little bit magnified. It comes and it goes. So that doesn't last. It doesn't shift my my decisions and where my attention is in general in life. So I think it 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 kind of depends. Um, I think it's it's more in the the in widowhood is what they talk about, but certainly men feel it as as well. It's it's being aware that you're no that person is no longer there on an ongoing basis. You know, when when that that you're still struggling with that. I remember one woman said uh, her grandson wanted to take grandpa's car. It's a good car sitting in the garage. And she wasn't ready and nobody could understand. And finally, she said, I like seeing his hat on the passenger mm. seat. Mm. You know, she just wasn't ready to release. Right. So it's it's we're human. It's so complicated. This is it's nonlinear. It's uh, which is I think that's what fascinates me. The idea of evolution and transition doesn't lend itself to equations very well. <clears throat> and as a financial planner, we're taught a linear process. And it's not that we don't have any training in it we know about certain trusts that you do in this situation and um how you handle um um, stock options and whatever you're you you got that Um, but the human part of it i don't i think one reason that the profession of financial planning has been so slow to embrace transitions and i wouldn't say they're even embracing it now I'm 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 sure I'm still on the margin somewhat, 
But at the, the same time, it's hard to embrace something that you can't put into a container and build into a scalable, efficient practice because the clients are not scalable and efficient, you, you know, <laughs> individually. It just, you know, <laughs> it, it just is. And if we're not willing to do that, then you, it's better. I think the choice is either you pay attention and you do that, that work, which is pretty serious and wonderful work, or you just brush over. You just kind of do a drive-by. Exactly. And I, I, I do have a hunch here on the fringe. Uh, when, when I teach my graduate course at GGU, which is the in the life planning track, uh, so many of the students will say, I didn't know this existed. I oh, yeah. thought I had everything needed to be a financial planner. And now I'm wondering if I really have the tools and skills to do it. Um, yeah, well, I remember when a, another friend of ours, Elizabeth Jeton, I was talking to her. She was president of the FBA at that time. And I was being amazed that not every financial planner thought this way. And, and she says, <laughs> Rick, you've got to understand, very few planners are like us. Uh, and I don't mean that in a in an offensive manner to financial. Well, any financial planner listening to this already gets it. <laughs> <laughs> so I I won't go down that on that the path. bus off the bus maybe I don't I, I don't know Susan we're going to have to end this episode here, but I'm excited uh, that we'll um, do another episode. I look forward to it, Rick. It's always fun to hang out with you. Come on back next week. Thank you. Take, Take care. Thanks for joining me, Rick Kaler, for another episode of Financial Therapy. It's not just about the money. This is where I combine the nuts and bolts of financial advice with the emotions that drive making them. Remember, every financial behavior whether it appears illogical to you or others, makes perfect sense when we understand the underlying beliefs, feelings, and thoughts. Sign up for my weekly blog at financialawakenings.com. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode.